Hey there, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And this is Freelance to Founder. The journey from freelancing to running your own agency comes with its own unique set of challenges. Challenges that Clay and I have both faced while building our own successful businesses. And on this show, we sit down with freelancers and agency builders like you for value-packed on-air coaching sessions with one focus. Taking your business from freelance to founder. We'd love to have you join us on the air for an upcoming episode. To learn how to get your free coaching sessions like the guests you hear on our show, visit freelancetofounder.com and click on the microphone icon. We are here and ready to help you take action in your business. On today's episode, the final episode in our eighth season, I want to turn the tables and share with you an interview I did with my friends Mark and Julia at The Clearing. I've done tons of interviews over the years, but Mark seems to ask the perfect questions in this interview, leading to one of the best conversations on freelancing I've ever had on the air. In fact, Mark and Julia are two fellow freelancers who have helped a whole bunch of people embark on the freelance journey, getting their first clients, and making good money as a freelancer in as little as a couple of weeks. They love jumpstarting freelancers' careers, and you should visit them at theclearing.io to learn more from them. They're super talented. In my interview, you'll hear a bit about my backstory along with some of my best advice for starting, growing, and sustaining your freelance business. I hope you enjoy this unique episode. I will push play on the interview for you right after this quick message from our sponsors. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Milo helps freelancers start their own business, charge what they're worth, and level up their freelancing. So I'll hand it over to Mark for questions. Great. Thanks so much, Julia. Hi, Preston. Welcome again from my side as well. Thank you so um, much. Great to be here. So I think first and foremost, it would be great to hear, since you've been doing this for so long, but everything had to start with the first project somewhere, right? So I think it'd be great if you could tell our audience a little bit about your story, how you landed that first gig, and how you went from there to helping thousands of other aspiring freelancers. I love that. I, I think every, like you say, every freelancer story starts differently. Mine started quite early on. I, I don't know if I can even identify the first real gig that I had, but I do remember as a teenager, um, you know, in high school, I had a couple of uh, companies, I guess, I'm trying to remember through connections, I was on the yearbook staff, meaning I, I helped sort of with the page layout and the design of the yearbook and the writing and a couple of things artistically there. And I think the yearbook teacher had a friend who owned a company who needed a logo. And so I designed them a logo and it was probably terrible. Um, but I that was probably the first uh, paid freelance gig that I had if I if I can remember back far enough and I was probably 16 or 17 um, but but in reality my, my actual freelancing started uh, more in my university years uh, and I was uh, freelancing through the last couple years of college uh, that's how I put my my wife and myself through our last couple years of college and so um, I worked as a graphic designer and a web designer uh, just designing all sorts of different things and that's actually when I 
started writing about some of my experiences as, as a freelancer as well on, on my blog and, and sort of started that as a little hobby or a side project. So it was, it was really those early days of, you know, either getting some freelance work or not being able to buy food or go to school, uh, or I guess getting a, a real job, quote unquote, real job, obviously. Um, th those were the really early days of freelancing for me. Amazing. Um, so quite existential stuff right from the get-go, it seems, right? But also it seems that there must have been some resistance on your part to, to have it not be a job, right? There must have been some desire to have it be independent um, and have it be driven by you and your decisions, right? I mean, that's got to be something that's an essential part of anybody who makes this decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's always been, for some reason, inside of me, this drive to um, to align my life actions with my priorities. And so, you know, we didn't have kids at the time. We have a few kids now, but but I was just newly married. Um, like I say, finishing up school. But I remember when I was, boy, I don't even know, maybe 13 or 14, I remember reading an article um, about Charles Schultz. He's the creator of Peanuts, Charlie Brown, if you're familiar with it. And he had passed away and his daughter had written this very touching um, sort of obituary, but it was a little bit more than that. And, and she had explained how she never knew when she was younger that her dad had a job. And I was so enamored with that idea that, um, that he was so available to them that she had no idea as a young child that, you know, like she couldn't figure out how her friend's dads were never home and why they didn't come home till six o'clock or whatever. And I just like fell in love with that idea so much. I remember that was sort of the seed that was planted in me for figuring out, yeah, my own autonomy and figuring out how I could build a life around my work instead of vice versa. Amazing. <laughs> what a great story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so take us through the next steps. How did you go from sort of being able to secure regular gigs to really taking it to the next level to really building up that experience that allows you to carry it forward now? You know, what? I wish I had um, like this amazing story where I started with smaller clients. I grew to medium clients. I now have giant clients. It didn't actually work that way. It was sort of a, a roundabout um, sort of journey. <clears throat> and I suppose if we dig deep enough in most freelancers journey, that's probably true of most of us. But I, I freelanced my way through school, yes. Uh, right as my wife and I were finishing up university, we found out that we were expecting our oldest son. And um, that, for those who have kids, like you know that that kind of does something to you. Like all of a sudden, yes, I, I was supporting myself and my wife. My wife was also working. Um, so we were sort of supporting each other that way. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, this is going to be on me at least for a little while to just support my wife and my son. And so I actually ended up getting a, a full-time job out of college. And my freelancing and my blogging um, really helped me get a really high caliber job. Like it really set me apart from other entry-level students. So that was a definite uh, advantage that I had from those early days of freelancing. But freelancing kind of uh, and running my own business kind of got put on a back burner for a little while. I, I took a, a really great job out of school, which led me to um, a couple promotions at that same company. And, uh, and, and all the while, I was still freelancing on the side and, and really building my business um, as, a, as a blogger, uh, talking to other freelancers and helping freelancers start and grow their businesses as well. But, but that all led up to a, a moment later on where I a couple of jobs later was let go from a tech startup that ran out of funding. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was able to take my, my now blog and business, uh, all about freelancing. I was able to take it full time. And that's what, what I do now full time. It supports me and my family. 
and um, and it allows me to live the lifestyle that I that I read about so many years ago. You know, uh, my, my youngest daughter. I don't, don't know if she quite comprehends what a job is necessarily, and I really love that. Yeah, that's great. Passing on the Charles Schultz legacy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Fantastic. Um, but I think that's incredibly valuable stuff to hear as well, that it's not this linear progression and it doesn't have to be this thing from like one client, you know, is two clients next month and three clients the next. There's definitely something erratic about this. There's something stop and go about it. There's something unpredictable about it, right? I mean, that's obviously how it is, um, you know, first couple of months, first couple of years even. And that's totally fine, right? I think that's, you can be safe in the knowledge that that's all right if that's how it is. And, you know, we, we hear from other people as well that, you build this up over time, right? You're moonlighting at first. You're not necessarily jumping in the deep end and just banking that big, big enough client to just support yourself right away. So you're doing these things on nights and weekends. Eventually, there's sort of this crossfade effect where, you know, you can jump off sort of the the, the full-time bandwagon and get onto the freelancing um, and manage it that way. Um, so yeah, there's there's any number of stories like, like you said. Um, so what I want to get to a little bit with this is that in terms of building that momentum and how you can do that, um, talk to me a little bit about some of the struggles that freelancers have in doing that, because some of the things that we've heard as well, and that we talk to as well, when we talk to freelancers, it's very difficult to be your own best sales agent and to be your own sort of salesperson and your own sales team, right? Because as a creative, especially that's not necessarily where your, where your strengths are. Um, what are this, what other sort of struggles do you see? And, and, you know, is that something that you see as well? Yeah, I, that, that's a fantastic question. And this is this comes from my experience in obviously freelancing myself, but then recruiting dozens of expert freelancers who maybe did have more of that linear path from like one client to two clients to more of an agency style. Um, dozens of those kinds of freelancers contribute to my site. And so I work closely with them to learn what they've learned about freelancing. And so I've had my finger on the pulse of freelancing for over a decade now. Um, and I would I would say even more so than like, um, yes, yes, this issue of particularly with creatives, you know, we work with a lot of designers and writers, the, this issue of being your own salesman is, is of course difficult. Um, I would say though, even more than that, a lot of freelancers, they don't, they're not even thinking about sales, which sounds ridiculous to those of us who have done it and who know how it works, right? But, but so many of them, particularly when they get started, they're thinking about like, how do I make my portfolio look pretty? Or how, what should my company name be? Or should, when I send emails, should I say we, or should I say I, if it's just me? Like there's all these little things that they're worried about. And, and those little things pile up like a pile of pebbles and, and can just um, suffocate someone who's trying to get some traction in their freelance business. My philosophy is uh, to let all of those things go and focus, like you said, on sales, on getting, clients in the door and sales is like such a scary word for freelancers sometimes uh for all the reasons that you mentioned but uh but really that's if if you're not if you're not booking clients if you're not selling clients if you're not getting business in the door then your freelancing is so far just a hobby it's not a business you're not in business yet and so that's that's the number one thing i see is like people tinker so much on all the little details when in reality what you need are to get some clients in the door so Absolutely. We see that as well. And I think that one of the things that's, that's probably at work and, and at play here um, is it's, it's a much more difficult thing to face, right? It's much easier to sort of dress yourself up with a nice name or to worry about what your invoice is going to look like and to start looking at sort of, you know, should I brand myself? Do I, how's my website going to look? Can I build my portfolio up? Your advice is 
find clients yesterday, right? That's yeah. the absolute priority. Absolutely. In fact, there's, there's um, research that shows that the same endorphins that you get when you accomplish something, you also get a bit of them, a dopamine hit when you share those goals with other people. And I, I feel like it's kind of the same, which, which is actually to your detriment, because then that means a lot of times you've already got the dopamine hit, you're kind of set and you end up not going for not reaching your goals, not even trying because you've already had emotional benefit of telling people about your goals. It's a piece of research I found really interesting. And I thought that it kind of applied a bit to what we're talking about too, where for a long time, we can play business, we can play freelancer, and we feel really good because we have a cool website and we have a cool business name and we tell our friends that we're freelancing and we talk about it and we post on Facebook and all this stuff. But in reality, we're not making any money or, or very little money. And so we're not really in business. So part of me, yeah, wants to say, don't talk about it. Don't, don't do all these little things until you've got clients. Like you say yesterday, you need clients right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great piece of advice as well. I think don't go and shout it off the rooftops. If you know, you're not actually banking anything yet, like that's when you actually want to go out and like spread that information. No, not that you've started a business, but that you're actually in business, right? You're not actually yeah. in business. You haven't started it until you're in business. Well, and, and obviously like you can spread the word around to help generate business and bring in oh, clients. Absolutely. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's a no brainer. You know, I have a friend yeah. who recently lost his job and in the first couple of weeks he was freelancing full time. He wanted to give it a go. He booked like $9,000 in new business in a couple of weeks. Um, so he went from zero to $9,000 in business, all, be, all from his network, just by telling people like, hey, I lost my job. I'm not planning on getting another one. I want to freelance. You know, can I help you? Do you know anyone I can help? So there's obviously benefit in talking about it. But, but if, you, if you play business, you're getting that little dopamine hit mm -hmm. um, before you really deserve it. And then it can be easy to never get the traction that you really want. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the ways that, um, people who are just getting out of the gates can sort of think about prioritizing steps. Um, customers first, all right. What else do they need to be thinking about? What are some of the top three items, let's say, other than just pushing sales? Yeah. One of my favorite things to talk about with freelancers is the idea of a minimum viable portfolio. Um, if you're familiar with startup world, tech world, then uh, you're familiar with the idea of, of a minimum viable anything, like a minimum viable product or an idea or something. And basically the short of it is, what's the minimum amount I can do to prove that this is going to work? And so an app developer or a tech company might develop the bare bones version of their app just to prove that customers are even interested in their value proposition. Freelancers can do the same thing with their portfolio. They can develop a minimum viable portfolio to say, can I even get anyone to look at this? And when they do look at this, are they even interested at all in the kind of work that I'm offering? And so a minimum viable portfolio might be instead of, you know, 20 pages with 20 projects and a long about page and videos and all this interactive stuff and super elaborate takes months and months or maybe years to develop. Instead, you could build a one page, you know, use a drag and drop. It may not be perfect. It may not be breathtaking, mm -hmm. but it, it gets the job done and you can start sending it to potential clients, gathering feedback. And instead of imagining in your brain, all of these scenarios or things that clients might want, you get actual real life feedback from real life potential clients saying, I really like your, you know, what you're offering, but I have a hang up with this or with this, or I have this question. You can start to add those things into your minimum viable portfolio and build it out from there. Yeah. And one thing I would maybe add as well um, is 
if that portfolio is sitting somewhere online, use analytics to see how people are interacting with it, right? And yes, see if, if you can even make it part of your sales funnel, right? Which, which projects are converting to a contact page, which ones are making people get in touch, maybe drop the others or highlight those, um, find some, some reason like to make your decisions on what to highlight and how to reduce yes, it. Right? Yes, absolutely. I've, I've talked about this quite a lot on the internet and, um, and something that I, that always resonates with people is, uh, you know, so many of us going, particularly designers, I work with a lot of designers, but I've seen this across all disciplines, but, but your portfolio is not a place to show off. It's not a place to, to make you look beautiful and your work look beautiful. Like, yes, that has to be a piece of it, but really the purpose of your portfolio is to convince someone to hire you. And so any chance that you give them to click away from your site, any chance that you give them to uh, dive too deep into a project or into thumbnails and just like get lost looking at things, like you say, if it's not a funnel, then any chance you give someone to exit that funnel is, is bad for business, right? And so the, the purpose of your portfolio is actually to sell you to a potential client or to start a conversation at a minimum where they can then reach out and you can start the sales process. Absolutely, yeah, no, I love that. About thinking commercially, you gotta put the business hat on and like put the aesthetics yes. to one side. I mean, you can have the most beautiful image rich portfolio if it takes too long to load on your website, that's it. Exactly, it ranks lower in Google, the client won't stick around, the potential client won't stick around to wait for it to load, like there's all of these detrimental side effects. And, and you know what, there's plenty of opportunities to share your work elsewhere. If you wanna show off your work, feel free but your portfolio shouldn't be the place that you do it. Absolutely. Show off on Dribbble or, you know, where, or on Behance or wherever you want to show off your work. Again, talking about designers, but of course there's options for all sorts of freelancers. But, but yeah, don't use your portfolio as a sales tool, not as a place to just highlight and show off your best work. Yeah, perfect. Excellent yeah. bit of advice, I think. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other side of this is you, as you get the feedback and as you get repeated questions, you can work those answers in right? If you have a website and then people tend to ask you, have you worked in this industry before? Because they saw one logo and they're like, oh, I'm in this industry and I want to know, do they have more experience in this industry? You can actually add a note and say, by the way, if you're interested, I have done seven other logos or seven other pieces. I've worked with seven other clients in this industry. Ask me about them. Write me an email right here. Boom. So then they kind of feel like, oh, she knows what I'm thinking or he knows what I'm thinking. And that makes them feel much more trust and much more comfortable. And you're helping them along to get in touch with you and you're kind of helping them forward. And that's how you can also do it in, with in-person sales, right? You can adapt your pitch and kind of work the questions that everyone always has at the end. You can kind of already work them in and say, now, most people ask me this or now you probably might be thinking this, well, here's my answer to that. And they're going, hmm, she, she knows me. She might be able right. to help me with my issues. Maybe she, she also knows more about my company than I think she might. So that establishes trust as well. That's spot on. If you do it right and you pay attention, and I, and I would study a little bit of copywriting if you're not a writer naturally, because copywriting is going to be your best friend when building your portfolio online. But if you do it right and you listen to feedback, you can actually, potential clients will actually write your copy for you. The way they talk about your work, the way they talk about hiring you, you can use all of those words as 
pieces of the copywriting for your portfolio to, to show clients, like you say, that you can speak their language. And the more you can speak their language, the more comfortable they're going to feel in continuing down that sales process with you. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Awesome. Um, let me get back to one of the other things that you advise um, freelancers, which is um, as they're starting off, not to be too picky with their clients, right? Yeah. A little bit more about that. And when can you actually allow yourself to be a little bit more picky? This is uh, maybe counterintuitive or, or something that I, I may, you know, I may get some backlash for, for offering this advice. But again, it's based on over a decade of experience working with freelancers and, and particularly working with new, new freelancers, people who want to get some traction. And what you see so often online is advice, which is good intentioned, but it's bad advice, in my opinion. And that is uh, charge what you're worth. Like, here... <laughs> Yes, I guess if you dive deep enough, it's good advice. But charge what you're worth is, is so easy to say and so hard for people to comprehend what that means. And, and I think actually people are interpreting it wrong half of the time. So if I've been freelancing for you know 15 years, right, I'm going to charge something completely different than someone who's been freelancing for six months. And, and if, if the six month freelancer gets into a forum and says like, I really want to figure out how to get higher paying clients, or I can't figure out why my client is being so awful or why, you know, why they keep changing everything on me. They, they complain about something about their client. Well, then the 15 year freelancer says, well, are you charging what you're worth? 
And what they mean by that is like, are you charging what I'm charging? Because I don't have crappy clients. They don't beat me up. They don't treat me bad, right? Well, yeah, you've been investing time and energy into good clients for 15 years. And if this six month freelancer tries to charge what you're charging, he's never going to get any business in the door. And so, yes, you have to charge a good amount. And most freelancers, if we're being honest, can probably charge more than they're charging. But in reality, uh, you have to make sure when you're getting started or in the middle age, sort of the middle ground of your uh, freelance business, the middle, you know, as you're approaching sort of that tip, you're not being too picky. Again, it's about getting revenue in the door. Like you are a business. And so if you're so incredibly picky that no one wants to hire you, you can't get any projects, then pretty soon you're going to be at your day job again because, again, the goal of freelancing, right, is to support your lifestyle. So, yeah, I, I always say don't be too picky in the beginning. As you, as you get older and wiser and have more experience, you can and should get more picky, and that'll come naturally. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, you want that first bit of confirmation that you're getting clients to the door as well, yes. which is more important than being picky in the early stages. And also, like, if you're being picky about who you're working with, maybe you're going to be picky to work with as well, which is something that clients don't want to see. Right? That's also true, yeah. And, and I think there's also lots of other benefits of, of not being as picky. Like, if you, in the beginning, yeah, you, you gain confidence by showing that someone actually wants to hire you. <laughs> you're at least good enough for somebody, right? That can be a real confidence boost you never know also what kind of advantage you'll find later from the network of clients that you build you could bring in referrals you know this smaller client that you maybe didn't deem as worthy could have a friend who runs a much bigger company who needs similar services and they might refer you yeah. um, you get client testimonials you learn what it's like to work with a client you decide if you really want to do this kind of work long term before there's you know a huge hundred thousand dollar project on the line so um, there's lots of benefits to, to really not being all too picky in the beginning. Yeah. And, um, so the power of referrals is definitely one thing that I wanted to come back to as well and talk to, talk to with you about, um, you give a really good piece of advice, how you can initiate that power of referrals, which is by over delivering for early stage clients. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you are, that's what, if you surprise and delight, which is a pretty common, I guess, marketing term or sales term, if you surprise and delight your clients, they will talk about you. They'll say, you won't believe what my writer did, what he, like, he delivered this thing and it was incredible. And it, and it, uh, you know, ranked number one in Google within a couple months. So then when a friend comes along, they're like, man, we just can't get any, you know, search traffic to our site. They're like, oh, you should hire John because he delivered this article to us fast and it ranked high in Google. And that's exactly what you're looking for. Something like that, right? So yeah, I, over delivering is the best way to get clients talking to new potential clients in the future. Yeah. Even if it's something that at some point you probably have to curb off a little bit as you sure. try and like manage different projects. But yeah, especially for those early stage projects and those early clients, solid piece of advice. I would, yeah. I would totally agree. You know, I think you can keep it up with most clients and maybe not to the extreme that you can in your early days. But you can always over, you can always under promise and over deliver, right? So you can always say, this is going to take me three weeks. And then when it takes you two weeks, they're delighted that it came faster than it was supposed to. So I think there's yeah. always an opportunity to do that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Love, love that as an anchor point as well. Keep that in mind. Opportunity right, to over deliver. Yeah. <laughs>
um, yeah, no, it's all about managing expectations, right? Which is part and parcel of the entire process yes. of managing a project as well and managing that client. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you have a resource on your site as well. This is one of many times I want to reference your site because there's some great tools there. There's great stuff there, which we're still going to get talking about. Um, but on, on Milo.co, on Milo.co, um, there's a template somewhere sitting there as well, no, that helps people um, bring those referrals on board. Uh, yeah, we've got um, quite a few email templates and these come, like I mentioned before, directly from fellow freelancers, agency builders, people who are actually doing this in the real world. And you can look at their email template um, to generate referrals. You know, there's one I'm thinking of in particular from a friend of mine named David, and he uh, would send this out to his clients after a, he was done with the project and just say, you know, uh, well, I'll let you see what's in the template, but basically I'm sure we can, I'm sure we can add a link here, but basically he would say, thanks for working with me on this project. And uh, here's some things we did together. And uh, you know, I'd love a referral if you know anyone who's, who's looking for this kind of work. If you think I did a good job, my business relies on referrals and I'd love to hear from you. So you can take that actual template or script that David uses in the real world, adapt it for your own voice and your own style and your own situation and send it right out and start getting referrals right away. Fantastic. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Um, so obviously the power of referrals, I mean, there's one thing that people have to keep in mind with this as well. I think that um, there's sort of eventually as you sort of get going and then you, you know, you start going from like going beyond just doing gigs to actually having it become what you're doing full time, going beyond just being that hired gun, right? And actually sort of moving into solopreneurship and into whatever is to come next, right? You just talked about agency builders. That's obviously then the next step beyond that. Um, referrals are obviously one of the most powerful things that, that you can have on your side to be able to get that steady flow of projects coming, right? As the network builds, as it becomes sort of exponential and you have that effect on your side, um, referrals would be one of the key things, I think, to help, help grow that business. Um, what, what are some of the other things that freelancers can do? What else can they rely on um, in terms of how they can build out their network, how they can, you know, events they can go to, anything else that, that you've seen help freelancers um, sort of grow? out of that early stage? Yeah, I think it can be really easy to think of other freelancers as your competition. And in some scenarios, they certainly are. But, but what I love about uh, the freelance uh, economy is there are so many of us and there's so much work to be done that, that in reality, I think we all have a lot more to benefit from one another than we do to, to try to hide from one another or that we would benefit if we, if we tried to stay in our own silo. And so, like you say, attending events um, or even just networking with other freelancers online, you know, there's tons of Facebook groups. We have one where freelancers just pop in and they'll say, I'm having this issue with this client. I've never faced this problem before. Can anyone help me? And they'll get seasoned freelancers in there giving real world advice on how to solve a particular problem. That can be extremely helpful. Um, another way I've seen freelancers kind of take the, their business to the next level is focusing on productizing or building recurring revenue models, um, which is maybe a conversation for another day. It can be a gigantic conversation, but, but thinking instead of trading hours, service hours for money from your client, you're instead trading a value proposition, a, a product, a, a sort of packaged, you know, maybe you charge a certain amount a month or a certain amount per project or per, per uh, actual work and value that you complete. So that's, that's what I've seen is a, a major tipping point for a lot of freelancers is going from hourly to either value-based or project-based or uh, productized service. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that's something people shouldn't get ahead of themselves as they sort of consider that these options are out there. But I think it's amazingly motivating for people to have that 
as a goal, like two, three, four years down the line, and just think of what could come if they continue down this path and if they do it right. Um, just the idea of being able to do that and also to build passive income, right? There's, you give you give some advice about that as well. There's so many different ways that, that can happen. I'd love to hear a couple of those ways that you can sort of walk us through like the opportunities that established freelancers have or that even early stage freelancers could have to build passive income as well. Yeah, 100%. So I know uh, at the summit here, uh, we're going to be joined by my friend Tom Ross. And Tom is a fantastic entrepreneur. He runs a company called Design Cuts. He's a good friend of mine. And he, he helps designers uh, make passive income. Uh, you know, designers who sell on his marketplace um, make passive income as customers come in and buy the design elements that they've created and, and listed on the marketplace. You may have heard of creative market. It's, it's sort of a similar idea where you make something once and you sell it to customers multiple times. So I might make an icon set, or I might make a texture set, or I might make you know any, any number of design elements, templates, or anything like that. And then I create them once, and people buy them over and over again. And so this creates sort of this passive revenue over time. Another way you can do it is <clears throat> to build in you know, upsells, or maybe not upsells, but secondary sells uh, into your client process. You know, if you're a web designer, for example, you could um, you could offer to sell them hosting. You could there are a couple ways you could do it. A company called Flywheel lets you actually sort of keep the extra margin on top of the hosting your client pays. So they pay you, and then you play, you pay Flywheel, and you sort of manage the whole thing. Or you could just send them an affiliate link, um, and you would get a certain amount of the revenue each month from the host that you send them to. Of course, you'd have to set that all up ahead of time, but there are, there are a myriad of ways as you get creative and you're growing your freelance business that you can work passive income into the other work that you're already doing. Passive income is sort of this sexy like dream that a lot of people talk about in business. Most people who talk about passive income aren't just sitting on a beach sipping Mai Tais and you know, <laughs> making money. Um, there are some people who do that, I suppose, but most people who are talking about passive income are actually working really hard. And so I think there's definitely ways to work in more passive or recurring income into your freelance business while you continue to do the work that you actually enjoy. Yeah, no, definitely. Not to be underestimated, the work that does go into it. I mean, one of the great examples yeah. of the passive income stream that you name on your side as well is teaching which I think is great because that's not one that comes to mind as intuitively as others like marketplaces or even the affiliate um, uh, idea, which you mentioned, but teaching like having, I mean, there's so many platforms that, that enable that these days as well, right? If you set up a small course on Udemy or, or wherever else, um, I think that's a, that's a great opportunity as well. Yeah, and absolutely. Maybe, In fact, you, you could send, you could send those to your clients. You could even say, you know, um, it's all set up. Your website's ready to go. If you have any questions about how it works, you know, my course is $50. It'll walk you through all the nitty gritty of how it works. Or maybe you build that into the price of their package. Or I've, I've reached out to freelancers before to have them help me with some work. And when I've declined to hire them, they'll say, no problem. I understand my prices might be a little high for what we're offering. But we do have this course that teaches you what we do. Um, and it's, you know, only $200 or something. Mm -hmm. So if I don't want to pay $2,000 to hire a freelancer, um, I can go and watch that course for $200. They make a little bit of money on the course. I save money by figuring out how to do it myself. And so it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic uh, sales strategy as well. Like if you don't want to go beyond a certain point in terms of selling your services, you can say, well, you know, if they're not willing to pay my minimum sales price or my minimum cost point, 
you can refer them back to a course that you might have put online and say, well, for a lot less money, you can just get get that right. knowledge, and that way you can still bank something. I mean, that's fantastic. exactly that's yeah. Right. Instead of losing, instead of losing those people, you still you build goodwill with them. Um, yeah. They don't go away angry, like thinking they wasted all their time. They have an option still. And then you, yeah, you get to bank a little bit extra. That's more passive because you've created the course once. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a lot of work, but you've done it once. Yeah. And then you can do that potentially with all of the lower end leads that you don't want to work with or they can't work with you. You can refer yeah. people to yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or they even want to try and train someone in their team to mm. be able to do what you do for them as well so that maybe they have a person who understands it better so they're not reliant on an outside source. I've had a couple of clients who have been worried about that. And whenever I was able to respond to them saying, so listen, I will you will always be independent from me because I just want you to know that what I'm providing for you is like a kickoff. And then I want your team to be able to uh, maintain this at a lower cost. They were really happy to know that their interests were my interests. And that way they trusted me much more and they were super willing to pay the full price on what I offered them just because they know they can trust that, um, that I would actually give them uh, give them what they need so that they can maintain the results or even level them up. So that's a fantastic opportunity as well to kind of be like, if you want a lower price option, here's my course. And then if you ever have a question, we can just do hourly, hourly consulting or hourly me hopping in and taking care of issues that your employees cannot take care of. So that's also a hybrid model um, that can yeah. Yeah, help you. And it's also less time for you that you need to spend on that client. You can work on more clients on the other end. I love that. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so another, this is a great opportunity still to refer people back to your site again one more time um, at mello.co because you have a list of top tools, which I, I love. Um, and it goes from, you know, education and learning, including some of the ones we just talked about to web hosting, to CRM, to, you know, legal time tracking, payroll, just one-stop shop for like all the tools you could ever need. So like absolutely one more top reason to go and check out the website um, and help yourself to, uh, to some input there. Um, and one more thing you have on the website there, which I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about is um, you have a podcast there as well, which uh, has you, it's a weekly episode. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the chance to talk about it. Yeah. The podcast yeah. is called Freelance to Founder. And uh, right now we're, we're telling the stories of freelancers and solopreneurs who have scaled their business uh, to be much bigger than themselves. And so, you know, we talk to people uh, like um, Mike, Mike McDermott of uh, FreshBooks. He founded FreshBooks mm -hmm. and he started as a freelancer himself who couldn't find good software for sending invoices. Now he runs a massive company, um, together with a couple other people helping freelancers uh, through through one of the best pieces of software um, on the market for freelancers. You know, we talked to the founder of ConvertKit, Nathan Barry, who started as a freelancer himself and decided to develop. Um, he was a blogger and he decided to develop email uh, email marketing software for bloggers. And uh, and so there's just these really cool stories about people who um, who started as a freelancer or started on their own and then grew their business to be to be bigger and not necessarily huge tech companies. I guess both the, the um, examples I shared were tech companies, but we also talked to, you know, my friends, David and Lou, who have started two different creative agencies or uh, Clay Mosley, who started an agency after, uh, after he was doing his own thing as a freelancer for a while. So some really great,
great stories in there. We're pivoting the show next year to be a little more tactical in nature. So it's going to be a lot like the conversations we're having today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, actual action you can take to grow your freelance business and grow it to that sort of more founder level to where you're running a business instead of just exchanging hours for, for money. So it's, it's a great show. It's, it's always changing and I'd love to, to have anyone take a listen and send me some feedback. Awesome. Great. I'm sure people will listen and I really recommend it as well. And it's not just on the Thank website, you. right? It's on um, Apple and Google and Spotify and all the rest as well. Right? Oh yeah. It's every, it's everywhere you can, yeah. Everywhere you listen to podcasts, you can just search freelance to founder uh, and you'll, you'll find it. Awesome. Um, now we talked so much about the upsides and about the potential and about scaling and about, you know, all these great stories that of the people you interviewed as well. Um, surely there's some downsides and some hardships as well that I think to be fair, to balance the equation ever so slightly, like let's talk a little bit about that, not to necessarily end on that note, but just to add a touch of realism. Um, some of the hardships, some of the downsides, what are some of the things that the people you talk to find the hardest, have complained most about, have, you know, maybe convinced them that yeah, you know, um, there is a there is an emotional toll that comes with freelancing. Most definitely, uh, there can be a lot to deal with when uh, when you're not just collecting a paycheck from your boss every two weeks or every thirty days or whatever. Um, you know, the 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 roller coaster feast famine cycle, whatever you want to call it, is very real for many freelancers. And so, you know, a lot of that can be taken care of with things we've talked about today. But but those are very real concerns for freelancing. Uh, and you should be aware of them as you go into it or as you continue to progress in freelancing. The good news is uh, you'll, you'll, you'll never be in the same situation for your entire life. You can always adjust and pivot. If you have to go get a part-time job to supplement your freelance income until you can make a little bit more, you can do that. If you were employable once before, you're employable again, so you can always go back and get a job for a year or two while you get your freelancing back under you. There are always options, but um, there's definitely, definitely a... Uh, it takes a it takes a strong-willed person to make it happen, um, but you can do it. People who want, who really truly want to do it, can do it. And I've seen people from all walks of life, from all countries and backgrounds and cultures. I've seen all kinds of people do it successfully. Everybody does it in their own way, and you can definitely do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as you say, that first priority of getting those getting those early clients is is going to be the way to go go at yeah. it. Um, and there's another amazing resource that um, I know we can share, which is at solidgigs.com, right? There's a way that people can actually access those gigs and have them sent to them, right? Instead of, instead of having to do the search themselves all the time. Um, talk just a little bit about Solid Gigs. Yeah, I mean, we also run a website called Solid Gigs. And it's, uh, yeah, our whole mission is to provide really high quality freelance jobs to freelancers. Um, and so, you know, what we noticed in working with freelancers for so long was that so many people were spending so much time every week just searching through job boards and listings and Facebook groups and all the places, Craigslist and all the many places that so many of us search for freelance jobs. Um, and so we decided to build a service where our team would go into the only the best, the cream of the crop listing sites um, and and do a bunch of Google search and LinkedIn search and all of that kind of thing to find just the best freelance jobs we could. And then we even pare that list down even more and we deliver about one or 2% of all the jobs that we see over the course of a week and we send those to our freelance members. And so they're getting literally the best jobs that are available on the internet for freelancers. Um, we charge a small monthly fee. We don't take a percentage of the of the money that you make from any clients that you get or anything like that. It's just a lead generation service that saves you hours every week. 
That's amazing. I mean, for anyone who's getting out of the gates, and what more could you want, right? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, diversify your search by all means, but why not start right there? It's solid. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a shortcut. Um, you know, we've heard some really good things from our members. This uh, this one guy, his name is Rob. He signed on with a goal of of starting a freelance writing business, and within the first month, he had booked five thousand dollars of recurring revenue in his freelance business. Um, from gigs that he found on solid gigs. Now he, he hustled a ton, right? He did a lot of work for that. It wasn't just handed to him, but solid gigs played a huge part in, in his growth as a freelancer for sure. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the resources are endless. I'm telling you, there's the Facebook group you mentioned as well. There's the newsletter that I think people should subscribe to as well. I just, I appreciate that myself as well. Um, and then there's something as well that I'd love um, for you to share with the audience, which is the ebook. Um, and then, and I'm going to hand back to Julia after that, but I'd love for you to still tell us about the ebook and what's inside it. Well, great. It's been, it's been a huge honor to chat with you guys and a blast. Um, the, the ebook is basically the DIY version of solid gigs. So if you don't want now, you can try solid gigs for $2, literally $2. So, but if for some reason you can't or don't want to try solid gigs as a way of generating freelance leads, um, we have taken our list of sites, the actual sites that we review, as a team and that we pluck the best freelance jobs from. We've compiled that list all in an ebook. We've rated them. We've given some more information about which ones we think are the best and how to use them and how to find the best jobs on those sites. And we've just packaged it all in one place. You can get it for free. Um, you can just visit uh, millo.co slash free and um, you can download that free ebook and, and give it a shot yourself. And if you find that it works for you, great. And if not, you can, um, you can level up to solid gigs and we'll do the hard work for you. But either way, it, it should work pretty well. Awesome. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen. Freelance the Founder is a production of Milo. You can discover more business building resources for freelancers at millo.co. And you can learn more about Clay's business and level up your entrepreneurial skills by visiting getdripify.com. Freelance the Founder is distributed by The Podglomerate. You can check out their other great podcast at thepodglomerate.com. And the theme music was produced by Joaquin Carud. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. We'd love to have you join us on an upcoming episode. To learn more, visit freelancetofounder.com. That's all for this week's episode. Until next time, keep up the hard work and we'll see you soon. See ya.